This conversation with Vania Logan is easily the headiest, most compelling conversation I have ever had about community. Think about it. She is one part anthropologist, trained as an anthropologist, and then trained as a marketer. So the way that she approaches community, how to measure it, how to profit from it, how to deploy it is informed by the oldest practices of community building first and then marketing, which is, I think, what's really missing from this dialogue. Um, but both are completely needed to make the business case. And I think we do that really, really nicely here with Venia uh, when we talk about the different stages on the journey, how you measure it, how you grow it, uh, the undeniable advantage that it has become. I think you're really, really going to like this. As always, this is a internet talk show. This, to me, is the easiest tool for community that you can start if you're a one-person team, if you're a small company, if you're a big company and you already have a community. It's the easiest form of engagement, not because it's easy as much as because it's easy to justify because of all the benefits it creates. So if you are interested in doing it, we're filling up our third cohort for the Relationship Flywheel Bootcamp uh, starting in October link in the bio link link in the show notes uh come check it out but man i am uh really pumped for you that you get to enjoy this conversation with venia logan if you know how it is then you know how it might be but think what it would look like if you grow your own community it ain't easy that's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy. This show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Show. This is season five, episode 190. My name is Pablo Gonzalez. I'm your chief executive connector. Uh, our guest today has uh, lit up the uh, parts of my brain in the community world, unlike anybody else has in just 
two conversations that we have had. A fabulous connection from Lori Goldman, who is in the house, um, the super connector, Lori. And um, she comes from this very interesting background of anthropology and social sciences. And the more that I talk to her, the more I realize that this is why I understand this stuff, because I come at it from a completely social mindset, not a marketer's mindset. Yet, she is also feverishly good at quantitative stuff and the science of it all, which I am not good at. And I'm really, really pumped to get this. We're going to share the stage at CMX coming up soon. Yeah. Uh, the what is it founder of socially constructed.online is that founder is that how you like to talk, call yourself yeah uh so i'm a uh, online community architect is my wonderful little role but i kind of turned my side consultancy agency into a full-fledged e-course training business called socially constructed.online and fun fact if that sounds super hoity-toity academic it's because that's the reason i built an e-course training brand I truly believe that if we're going to create better virtual spaces, which leads to a better virtual world, we need to start viewing community not as a marketing item or as a bucket or as another asset of business, but as a socio-ecological entity. Uh, If community is social, we must be measuring it and participating in it social scientifically. Boom. Samantha Venya Logan. Welcome to the show. That was great. That was better than I could have. Uh, You have these amazing, this is something I didn't say in your introduction. You are somebody that I really admire for the way that you create hook points and the way that you deliver things, right? Like you're able to like deliver these topics in like two to three minute segments. I'm like, yeah, perfect. This is awesome. I'm I'm super pumped to get into this conversation. I want to welcome the community. This is a community driven show. So if you're in the chat, I want to hear from you. Use the Q&A, all the good things. Rowan is in the chat. If you need anything, if you want some clarification or anything from Rowan, if you wanted to send you a piece of this conversation, ask for it. We post that at this stuff and share it. So Welcome to the show, Suzanne. I'm so pumped that you're back. Suzanne's up in New Jersey. She is a uh, a fascinating coach of coaches and CEOs. Lori Goldman, of course, the super connector in, in Denver, Colorado. Good to have you, Lori. Lee Bishop, who is a um, a super consumer of communities. He is the MVP of the Not Your Average Investor Show community, and we've become good friends. Chloe Bennett from Evans, Colorado, checking in. I'm guessing Chloe's your friend. Hi, Chloe. Hello. How are you? Chloe, good to have you. Hope you hope hope this is good enough that you stick around a couple of times. Rowan's in the Philippines, as y'all know. Kirsten Franklin is in the house. She's happy to be here and psyched to learn some more. All right, let's get going. Before we do, I hope you don't mind. If you're in the chat, if you're participating live, like this is the best part of this. Like when we started speaking, I'm like, oh, doing all the live stuff. Like I'm such a fan. But there's one thing that I think a lot of people, I think speakers benefit from saying this. I want to hear about your expertise in the chat. I want to hear you sharing your own comments and riffing off of our comments. Show your own expertise. Don't be afraid to like blunder through it. Don't be afraid to like brag. I want to see them. I want to see you doing your awesome stuff. And I want to hear about your communities too. So if you're in the chat, just know it's okay to be boisterous. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. And speaking of which, that 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 incited some boisterousness. Michelle Yanez is here from Sydney. Thank you, Internet, for being able to have Australian friends. Welcome, Michelle. We got Madeline yeah. Prothero from L.A. Love it. Derek Chang, longtime marketer, first time community builder from the San Francisco Bay Area. This is awesome. A bunch of new names. Yeah. Hey, you bring a crowd. You bring a crowd. San Francisco. Does that mean, Derek, that we're going to see you at CMX? 
I hope so. I hope so, Derek. Well, I hope if you can't make it to CMX, PM me. Yeah, uh, let us message me if you can't do it. I I got I got you. Awesome. Yeah, let us know if you're coming to CMX. Many. I wanna I wanna get I wanna get right into it. Right. Like, what is you talked about this idea that we need to measure community in a different manner. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So this goes back to the history of the internet and, of course, economic influences, in my opinion. So if you don't mind, the the big issue that I have is online communities are social structures. They are infrastructures that have existed since Tim Berners-Lee hit that switch, created the first forum, conversations have been happening, communities have been around for a really long time, but they've been largely ignored completely ignored by economic institutions. And everyone's like, yeah, community, it's the new advantage. Community, it's Web3. We're about 20 years late on that. And there's a lot of research. There's a lot of conversations already happening that just haven't entered into the conversation space. So why? What happened? A lot of businesses, when they came online, Web1 and Web2, they came online and they're coming from television and radio kind of influences. It's a one-to-many interaction. And Web 1.0 confirmed this fact because Web 1.0 was primarily one-to-many. It took a lot for you to build a website. So it was hugely organizational and corporate in nature. And we assumed, wrongly, that because this new medium was one-to-many at the time during 2.0, that a lot of the discussion being economic in nature would propagate the same ways that it did on news, media, TV, radio. We were wrong, but we found some success. So marketers came on and they're like, let's run an ad that does this thing. And it got a 0.02% ROAS. And like, that's super not great, but it's super great, but it's not great. And we just kind of went, hey, it works. Let's run with it. Let's build this entire infrastructure. And now 15 years later, We have all of these businesses who are trying to determine community ROAS and ROI, and they're looking at people actually collecting on a website that's healthy, an actual healthy community isn't a financially stable one. And we wonder why, because we're measuring it using these typical maneuvers that are very one-to-many, and they come from a hard scientific background. We test a variable, we do an A-B test. We run that A-B test on a web page. Now let's apply that to community. Let's do an A-B test on this type of copy for this ritual content. And we're chasing 0.02% conversion rates in community even. When in all actuality, and this is where we kind of move forward, community is a sociological structure. Uh, Community is literally, here's the definition. Community is a segment, a specific boundary segment of culture. You are building a culture. And if you don't know about the cultural measurements, it suddenly becomes very difficult for you to measure it the anthropological way, which has been happening since 1940. Franz Boas, Margaret Mead, my favorite anthropologist, they've been studying communities ever since way back when. And there are plenty of strategies that apply. And because you haven't heard of those things, I get to be the smart one standing on the shoulders of giants actually telling you these things and you're like, oh, wow, wonderful. And a great example, orbit model. The orbit model is this notion of concentric development. And as people get closer to your brand, as they rotate around, they can do anything they want. Once they get closer, you make an ask and they get closer and you make another ask and they become increasingly valuable to your brand. 
that's actually already existed for a while. That's called the socioecological model. Uh, it was done by Yuri Bromfenbrenner, 1980. It's a sociological concept. <laughs> All right. I got a lot to I got a lot to unpack there. That was awesome. That's my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, no, that was good. Listen, I think the other thing I didn't get to mention in your in your intro is that you're a great marketer, right? Like you're our ROAS and all this stuff, right? For those of you that are not a marketer, return on ad spend, right? Like A/B oh, testing yeah. is testing one thing versus another thing, and then you you know this this idea that community is a specific boundaried segment of culture. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a, a unit of culture. There you go. That's a that's that's a quote card right there. So when I hear that, right, because then one part of me is a, I want to make friends with everybody. And then another part of me understands growing up in Miami, the velvet rope of the nightclub, right? And yeah. and when you're, t- when you're telling me the orbital model, I've always just called it concentric circles of cool club, right? Like I've, I've always understood that if you can create a delineation at some point, and then there's another delineation of like a cooler club to get into, and then another delineation of the backroom VIP thing to get into, that creates this kind of flowing motion of proximity and familiarity that people very naturally gravitate into. They like to opt into that stuff. It makes you want to request it instead of being sold it when it's presented as such. But one of the things I struggle with the most is this idea that it's a boundaried segment, right? Like the idea that community as much, you know, the idea of inclusivity in community is something that we strive for. Yet in this definition that you give, there is a specified exclusivity to a certain extent. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So one of the important things about social science, we're going to go back to your sixth grade years, right? Uh, you learned about the scientific method and you have one, maybe two variables and everything else remains the same. And when you're studying things, when you're hypothesizing, when you're doing things, you're just hyper-focusing on one small part, changing it systematically until you learn and develop more about it through experimentation. That didn't exist in social science. And a lot of people tend to look at social science and go, well, it's not scientific. It doesn't attach to the scientific method. And I'm like, well, flip that. The scientific method is insufficient for studying community. And in that regard, culturally speaking, they moved away from the scientific method and into the social scientific process. And a few of the critical things for the social scientific process that occurred where we still measure variables, but we recognize that those variables are multifaceted, that we don't have control over them, we're not in a lab. So we change the focus of experimentation. We look at a chief set of variables that are occurring within a group of people, but we provide a limit, a scope that says, among this group of people, these people are doing this thing. They say it's for these reasons. It's creating this issue. In this scope of people, that's happening. Is it happening over here? So we take those variables and we move the scope. Social science measures scope. And when you look at a community that has specific boundaries, you as a stakeholder, you want to own your space. Then there's your lended space. There's concentric circles of your community's interaction and boundaries. And if you consider those boundaries as testable scope, you can suddenly say, these variables are happening. This cultural facet is occurring here, but it's not occurring here. Why? What's important about it? Why is that occurring? Do we want 
it to happen and what can we do to make it happen. So when you think of community as segments of culture, it becomes significantly easier for you to measure, for you to manage, for you to describe. You can tell better stories. You can figure out where your key stakeholders in each segment are, and you can activate them to engage with other stakeholders. When you view community as a scope and you view the various vari- the variables within that scope as something that you can move back and forth, suddenly your metrics just start to write themselves. Can you talk me through like a practical example of that, right? Because all, all of that sounds amazing and it sounds really intelligent and still my my brain kind of goes to like, okay, so how do you, you know, how do you create this like iterative thing by defining a boundary of community and, and going forward? Sure. And here's another nugget. <laughs> I uh, I live my life by these shortcuts that apply to honestly pretty complicated topics, but like that's community, right? The easiest way for you to understand it is to have a shortcut on your desktop that opens the app. So this one is setting precedent and building momentum. So I don't care what job you have in community. This is your job. This is all community roles boil down to two words. You are setting precedent to establish a thing, and then you are building momentum until the community is doing that thing themselves. Then you move on to the next thing. So if you think about that, you can start with the nucleus of your community, your brand. And you're like, our company, our brand, our stakeholders, we think that this is an important goal for the community. We've heard that from you all over the place. So we would like to do this thing. And then you get all your valued users, you get this founders group to do it. That's scope A. And you're like, hey, founders, is this really a good idea? Let's alpha it. Let's test it. And then your founders suddenly become successful doing that program. So you move the scope. You go and you do it again with another segment of your community. Let's say you're doing an advocacy program. You build your mid-level tier into an advocacy program using the same concepts. And then it occurs again. And then you do it to wire group and uh uh-oh, it it fails. It stops working. And you're like, okay, so it worked here and it worked here. It didn't work here. What happened? None of the variables changed, but the scope did. So is there an issue with your positioning? Is there an issue with specific emotional or capable hurdles with those individuals? And you can go out and you can measure that. Got it. Got it. Okay. So if I'm thinking about it from practical terms, right? So you're explaining this in a very, in a large population size. If you have a ton of users, you, you can do this. If you are a medium pimping guy like me, not, not, not big pimping out here. And I just have a group of friends, right? So for me, let's say, let's say friends of friends of my business, right? Like we have a, we have an avid community here. I would, I would segment kind of the super consumers, which to me are, when I think of community, I, I, I think of like, who are the Avengers, right? Like who are the people that I really kind of like count on as champions of this stuff for that, you know, like Lori, Lee, Don, Jesse, all have been very like stalwarts here that that come to the show often, right? So that would be my my alpha group, my super user group. Then I would expand that a little bit further with people that I interact with often on LinkedIn and that I communicate with, but maybe aren't here all the time, like Suzanne and others on like LinkedIn that I have there. And then I have kind of further out in my network contacts. I probably have another segment of people that have also been prospects and clients and stuff like that. And then I have just looser people that I interact with in different marketing communities. 
And for example, if I'm going to go launch this newsletter that we just launched, which is we're going to talk about the whole launch of the newsletter coming up next at the Relationship Driven Growth Strategy Sessions, and you're all invited. But if if I'm if I'm thinking on community wise, like is this newsletter good for my community? I would send it first to my super consumer Avengers group. If they like it, then I'm like, all right, I got something that's pretty good because my inner nucleus likes this. Then I would send yeah. it to. Suzanne and and a couple of other people, right? Like the, the people that often support my content on LinkedIn, if they like it, expand it, you know, send it to clients and whatnot. And I'm in that way, I'm segmenting the influence of this piece of content and bringing you closer to me to a certain extent. And I'm able to separate how it performs across like further distances of like my inner circle. Is that, is that essentially the exercise? Yeah, exactly. And I'm just not in the whole way. That's like perfect. But I did also notice, where is it? Suzanne, your comment, I'm at 60 in a platform and 600 in a Facebook group. I think this is a perfect example of the precedent momentum equation. Because like, as much as I like to simplify, the precedent momentum equation definitely has a lot to it. Like you said, for like the big comers, you get a whole bunch of samples and you can test a whole bunch and you just have a bunch of uh, data. And they call that in hard sciences and math, the law of numbers, right? The more data you have, the more accurate you will trend over time because there's just more data. Correct. In social science, you're right. For small sites, for small scopes, we don't get the privilege of the law of numbers. And I can go into this a little bit later, but I'm going to drop it here. It'll be a nugget that we can return to. Sure. There's something in social science called the rules of generalization. So it's five ways of expanding the way that you measure community. And it actually all boils down, all five ways boil down to a very simple formula, which is A, concept, this thing is happening, in B, population, this particular site, the scope of people is occurring with C, limitation. And if you don't have limit in your data, there's no point. So if you're following that formula with precedent and momentum, you'll discover that because you don't have very many people, your rule of generalization is going to run out of data quite quickly, but you will get way higher quality data. There's going to be so much specificity because it's more possible for you to interview members. In a large community, it's the reverse because it's a lot more difficult. You have to rely more on surveys. There's way more contention. There's way more data. It's a bigger fire hose hitting you in the face. So there's this introversion between small companies and big companies, small communities and big companies, where small communities can set precedent really, really fast and have trouble building momentum. Big companies take forever setting precedent because you have no idea what that precedent is supposed to be for your community, but they build momentum real quick once you've decided. So you have to figure out what percentage of your time you're going to spend setting precedent before you build momentum based upon the size of your sites. That's brilliant right there, man. That's awesome. I love it because that takes me down. That's the other thing we're going to talk about relationship-driven growth strategy sessions, this idea of like, how do we get qualitative data? And for me, you know, my obsession these days has been qualitative data and you're validating the idea that that is where I need to live because I'm not at law of large numbers, right? Like once I once I'm able to run across much bigger numbers, I can start getting this quantitative stuff. But if what I'm trying to do is you know build this momentum based on based on quality, I'm I'm going deeper into qualitative data right now because of my footprint, and then that 
can, if I get that stuff right, then I get the qualitative signals that will then create the acceleration that create bigger numbers. Is that kind of the right way to look at it? Yep, exactly. And Don is also over here, like totally geeking out. It looks like you have a PhD in anthropology. Yes, one of my kin. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Okay, cool. So that is super, super interesting. John, I see your question, man. I I think that that's a a bigger question for for another discussion right now. Maybe we can hit that in relationship-driven growth strategy sessions. I want to kind of stay on topic, but thanks for asking, bud, and I appreciate you being here. So when you and I were, were talking, you know, so this is the social sciences way to really experiment and get data from community. You also brought up how you get marketing ROI from community, which is, I think, where a lot of this conversation is headed. And you want to, you want to, you brought up the idea of like lead generation, lifetime value, and content performance. You want to kind of open that up again and, and, and we can jam on that? Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. Just real quick, dear, wonderful listeners, would you mind telling me on a scale of one to 10, how difficult is it to prove your community's ROI to your CEO or your primary stakeholder? One being immensely difficult, 10 being, I have no problems with it. Is that okay? And I would frame, yeah, of course. I love, I love, I love, I love how you're doing this, right? Like, and I would also frame that in the sense that I know that there's community professionals that have joined us and we're super pumped. Most of the folks that have been here before are also small business owners. So if she's asking you, this is like, how hard is it to prove it to yourself? <laughs> like, yeah. like how hard is it for you to go <laughs> all in on the community thing as we have done, you know, is, is another kind of way of looking at it. So yeah, Suzanne is just her, but like, and Suzanne, I know has gone all in, but yeah, how hard is it to prove <laughs> Madeline <laughs> for, for the rest of the team? <laughs> awesome. So you want to, you want to kind of read off. So, so Kirsten's saying, one is total is like totally impossible. Yeah. Madeline is saying 10 for CEO, four for the rest of the team. Is 10 the hardest or is one the hardest? Yeah, one is like the hardest and 10 is no trouble at all. Okay. Okay. So feel free to feel free to reframe. Suzanne is saying two. Okay. Then Michelle's saying two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it, here's what I'm seeing all the time. And the reason is because oftentimes this is dependent upon how the person that you're talking to sees community. And I think that there's a lot to be taken from that nugget. The fact that there's such a split. Normally you see a lot of really low numbers, two, three, four, like my CEO was all about community, but after a small while, he has no idea what I do and I don't know how to prove it. And then on the other end, it's just like, yeah, they're super gung-ho about community. I can do literally anything, but I don't know how to measure it. And they're fine with it, right? One of the big problems with us is we can't just leave the community's health and well-being to a person who's funding it based on whether or not they think it's valuable for no reason, right? So at a certain point in time, we have to remove from scope the conversation of metrics and discuss what's in it for me. Really, really famous, like always put your stories in a what's in it for me kind of perspective. And here's what I recommend. If you are having trouble with this, you have to put the story of your community's value into three separate perspectives. That means three dashboards, two, three, five maximum metrics on each dashboard. So dashboard one, is all about your executive impact. And we'll kind of return to dashboard one because that's the real meat of the community ROI discussion. Dashboard two 
is about your team. And it goes back to setting precedent and building momentum. There are a lot of people who are just like, oh yeah, support support deflection is the most important part of my community goal. So I'm going to go look at how many tickets I removed from support having to file that. And then I'm going to call that my success as a community manager. And then six months later, they're like, well, it definitely succeeded, but now I don't look good because there's not enough comments for the support deflection on my end. And the reason is because you can't control it. So dashboard two is all about what you can do to set a precedent and how you are measuring that precedent's development in your community. Set precedent, build momentum. Dashboard three is the stuff you can't control. And we're calling that the cultural pulse point. So cultural pulse point is basically your qualitative data. If you have not implemented net promoter score, do it. It's the lowest hanging fruit that you'll ever have in community. As a business owner, you can implement it immediately today on an email. It's super easy. Just a very simple question on a scale of one to 10, how much would you recommend us? And then a comment box. And you care about the comment box more than you do the scale, right? So you talk about community culture and it's just like, here's the pulse point of my data. Here's how many support tickets have been deflected, how many posts have been submitted to your forum, how many engaged users have been activated. This is all the data that we can talk about later. So you have dashboard two, just about your team. What is your team capable of doing? What are the results? Precedent, momentum. Dashboard three, cultural pulse point. What's going on in your community? What are your kudos? What are your uh uh-ohs? And then dashboards two and three fit into dashboard one. And here's the ROI discussion. The purpose of community, setting your precedent and building momentum, and then your community culture coming through, is that they will have changed all of your company's other department's activity. So in sales, a community lead should be outperforming a standard marketing lead. In marketing, you should be seeing a lifetime value on your users that is just increasing, and you should see the customer value journey steps in your marketing funnel trending higher and further up on the steps. So you're going to get more promoters than you will newcomers if community is interacting because people are here longer. You're going to be seeing the same thing with content. So you're going to see more people coming to events more often. So more regular attendance. It's an augmentation. Community augments all of your other department's funnels. So using the other two dashboards, you discuss, okay, here's each department's metrics. Here's how community is impacting it. And that's how you determine your ROI. Okay. All right. Got it. So I really hope um, that made sense. That was a long-winded response. <laughs> it, it makes sense. I'm 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 sorting through it, right? So like if at at the base level is this idea that you have you have metrics, right? So we're starting with that fundamental, right? Like you have sales metrics, you have marketing metrics, and you may have customer success metrics as well. And then you are segmenting out each of those metrics based on is this person in the community or did they come from somebody from the community, right? So like you're segmenting out those touch points and we're saying that anybody that is influenced by the community should convert quicker, should have a higher contract value on initial purchase, should have a higher lifetime value as well, right? Like they should have elongated success and therefore stick around longer, right? So I'm I'm thinking pipeline velocity. I'm thinking I'm thinking LTV. 
I'm thinking yep. reduce client acquisition cost as well, which will yep. probably come from the from the from the standpoint of like, oh, they were a referral from someone from the community and we didn't really have to pump a lot of like marketing dollars to get that or something like that. Yeah. Am I missing anything else? Again, it depends on your department. So yeah. if you have department A sales and they're getting like some incredible leads coming in, it would behoove you to ensure that you have on your sales application or your sales funnel, where did you hear from us? And if it's a community-centered option, they should be converting significantly higher than a marketing-centered location. Uh, you should always have that question. It's the easiest, low hang- lowest hanging fruit for a sales department. Same thing with marketing. So I have an example. I'm going to call out Digital Marketer here. I love Digital Marketer. I really, really adore it. Michelle Knight is, in- is an incredible community manager. But for Digital Marketer, they don't actually have community infrastructure put into place yet. Michelle's working on it for determining a community-generated lead from a standard marketing lead. And you can tell because I've been a part of their community for five years. I used to work for them. And for me, as a promoter, their products, I've already consumed them. So for me, I'm always reading their blogs, which they consider like a newcomer, but I'm not a newcomer. So I keep falling into their newcomer newcomer funnel. And over on the community, and I'm like, you're so annoying. Why are you sending so many messages? But at the same time, the DM Engage community is one of the greatest communities I've ever been a part of. So my community-generated lead looks like a newcomer to them because they haven't segmented that. And if they were to do so, they would realize that I'm usually the first to read their blog. Like the time to interaction is so instant. The second they publish a brand new certification for digital marketing, I'm one of the first to buy and consume it. And I'm always there. I'm always present in the community. So if they could just separate me from their standard marketing procedures, one, it would be better for me because I'm getting fewer emails that are not applicable, like buy community management for 50% off. And I'm like, I went through that course like five years ago. And also on the other end, they would know very, very well that if they were to just send a exclusive thing to me, I would buy it at 50% and then rant and rave their progress and it would be free marketing for them. I'm augmenting their sales department, but because they don't know, they have not segmented me as a community member. Um, not there. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so, that, I feel yeah, like I'm talking about <laughs> Yeah. No, no, no. I, I love it. Listen, I, I just put in the chat that this conversation is pushing me to my limits and I love it because it's <laughs> this is heady stuff, right? Like, I and 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 to me, this is... This is the conversation that's missing in most community conversations. I think all of us here in this in this room can say, yeah, community is a good thing. I love people. I know that I get referrals, this and that. But this like meat and potatoes of the deployment around it and the quantification of it is what's, you know, what we need to bridge the gap for mass adoption. So I love it. Right. So what what I'm what I'm hearing is at the at the core, 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 core level is. You got to have metrics, obviously, right? Like, I mean, it, it sounds simple to say it, but I, I think, you know, there's a lot of businesses that operate without metrics. And and as a community people person, I'm somebody that's like, metric, yeah, right? I start getting itchy because I start freaking out about it. But like, if we want to do this stuff that's right, we, we're going to have to do the tough thing to like implement that stuff. So once you have the metric, it's whatever mechanism you can create to 
tag somebody that is, you know, tag or mark or track, however you want to put it, to mark somebody that is involved in your community motions versus people that are not marked in your community motions. Because only then are you going to be able to understand the value of like all this effort that you're doing, because it's going to come by the way of qualitative insights plus taking those. And and sometimes it's going to be qualitative insights that you take that are then going to accelerate the quantitative measures of what you're talking about, right? Like digital marketer would see that the moment that they sell something, you're buying it and you're buying it at a faster rate than everybody else. So they would do well to be like, yo, what is it about this thing that's working for you, Venya? (laughs) Right? Like, so, so, so that you can continue to do it or Venya, how can we get you in front of other, you know, like the book that I have right here over this shoulder, that's like the yellow book. That's like super consumers by Eddie Yoon. Is, is very much based on this, is this idea that the most the most effective marketing technique is to have two of your super consumers having a conversation about the value you bring to them while a prospect is listening, right? So like if, if you're going to enable those things at scale, and that's how I think we all see community functioning as a business development mechanism, if we're going to enable those things at scale, we need to A, identify who those super consumers are, and B, identify the conversations that they need to have in front of other people so that we can see, put the prospects in their proximity, right? Like it, yeah. it, it seems very linear when you explain it that way. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I also wanted to shout out Derek Chang. I I hope I'm saying your name right. Treating community as its own channel is a way to fast track conversations. And business types love that comment. Like if you can create a what's in it for me dashboard, like I said, you have three dashboards. One is just community ROI that wraps in precedent and momentum for your team and community culture like it's immediate response to, oh, that's valuable. And what I would recommend, here's the simplest thing that you can do. And this is the number one step for anthropology as well. Create yourself a fields journal. So what this is, is just dates and then a small little snippet of something good that happened in your community today, something you did that was kind of awesome, setting that precedent or building momentum. And then an uh uh-oh, just like, hey, I think this might be an issue. And then over time, just track it in the same document and like start tagging it and just be like, this is positive. This is negative. This is about my sales funnel. This is about my community. So it's literally four columns. So date, your journal, and then positive or negative, and what's it about? Once you have those over time, just building it every day, you can just port that into your dashboard if you're using Tableau or Google Data Studio separate your positive and negatives. And then to your CEO on your dashboard, just have a section called kudos and uh-ohs. These are the top five kudos that happened this week. These are the top five uh-ohs that happened this week. And it immediately gives your CEO this qualitative clue in to what's been happening in the community and gives you a voice without having to say anything. All right, Rowan, let's clip that piece of micro content. That was epic. Oof, that was a golden nugget right there. I'm going to have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in. 
Connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Hit five-star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. I think, Carolyn, I think that that answers yours. Carolyn's saying like, data nerd here would love to hear entry-level integrations to use this sort of data aggregation for communities across channels. And then she put, okay, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle's got a great question here. Michelle says, my challenge is often community-generated leads can be seen as success-generated leads as we are a B2B community. So customer success-generated leads and a B2B community. The customers go to their managers their success managers and their managers lies with the with the success team. Good idea of the form to add community, keen to add this. So am I understanding this correctly that Michelle, you're, you know, we've we've encountered this also with our with our clients, right? Like you have it when you are making the case for that community is adding LTV, that becomes a very murky water of like, is it, is it, is community adding LTV or is it that we're just really good to our customers? Right. Like, and, and that's a fair, that's a fair assumption. You know, I think community there becomes the, I don't know. I, I I'll kick that back up to you, Venia. Like, is there, is, are there, are there better ways to unmurky that conversation? Cause my head goes to lean into other things. Yeah. And um, you're right. It is, it is, complex in its nature, but it's got a simple solution. Just add the customer success person responsible for that attribution to your community team. There you go. <laughs> um, I mean, I, w- I was talking with Constant Contacts Director of Customer Success. Her name is Selena, and I used to work under. Um, she's incredible. I highly recommend giving her a look. She's not in community, but she's in customer success. And we had this amazing conversation about the customer success department at Constant Contact starting to wrap in the sales department. Like Constant Contact is moving customer success super, super close to sales because customer success is all about how can I support and help you succeed so that you're the one advertising for me. And then at the same time, it's automatic support and you can immediately look at pain points and values. What about that doesn't sound like a community manager's job? Yeah. Yeah, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I love that idea. So th- I'm getting hot on the idea of something that Anna Tutkaya, who is the head of marketing for ManyChat, brought up on the show is this idea of like cross-functional teams. And then I was listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast and it was the founder of Duolingo. And he was talking about metrics-based teams, right? So it's not so much you build a team based on your department, you build a team on what metric you're trying to drive, right? Or like- right. what Oh, that's smart. Right. So like if 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 I'm hearing what you're saying, it's like, hey, why don't you know we're a community, we're gonna take a little bit of the budget from what what was the lady that you just brought up? Uh Selena. From Selena's, I'm I'm gonna take a little bit of budget and I'm gonna attribute it to the customer success team for Selena. And then I'm gonna take a little bit of budget and I'm gonna attribute it to, you know, a couple of other people that we need as stakeholders, and then this team with this kind of budget and allotment of hours can really try to drive this metric. And if that becomes LTV based on customer success, plus this oh, and that, I love it. now we're, now we're able to prove it. I think we're, I think we're cooking with something here. 
And imagine the cohesiveness for that because, okay, okay, so I also follow, he's probably my favorite measurement marketer. His name is Chris Mercer. He goes by Mercer. And he's been talking recently about the fact that owned private data is becoming such a big, robust system. And in order to manage retarget marketing as an industry, which isn't going to happen, that's not what I'm recommending. But in order for the industry to keep up as it transitions, we're going to need to start viewing metrics not as a one or two person project. You get the dashboard and then you use it for four months and then you go back and you remake it. But measurement is becoming a team. And if you combine that, that notion of like coalescing and combining your teams around specific metric systems, you'll build yourself an ecosystem that creates a team for asking results and how. That's incredible. I I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. We're going to have to talk more about that on the show. Also feel free, feel free to, to recommend uh, Selena to the show. We'd love to, would love to host her. That'd be awesome. Yeah, um, 100%. And John O'Clock is saying, don't most digital marketers not convert leads that come into the business and have ad money wasted for their business. John, the whole, the whole crux of this argument is that we drive all metrics based on community, right? So like if you are a bad digital marketer and you're wasting money on ads, you implement community and the money is going to be less wasted. If you're a good digital marketer and ads do well, you're going to implement community and ads are going to do even better, right? So it's a it's a magnifier of all good things. Benny, I want to I want to get into a couple more things. We got 15 more minutes before we go into relationship driven growth strategy sessions. That's when me and my partner and my team, we come on, we got ideas to to share with everybody, but we also take any kind of like questions and contextualize. You're you're invited to stay if you want to keep this conversation going, we can keep asking you questions, but I'm just inviting everybody to it. Today we're going to talk about we just released this newsletter. It, it's been super successful in the first week, so we're going to just talk about what worked and what not. That being said, Something I really want to talk to you about is you had you you painted this beautiful vision of what makes a community brand work that traditional brands just don't freaking get. Tell me more about that. All right. <laughs> this is another one of those conversations where I have a soapbox and I'm just like, ah, oh, stop doing the thing. I love um, your soapboxes for the record. Let's Go consider ahead. the traditional brand definition and Campbell's soup, right? So the traditional concept of a brand that everyone was grew up learning in college, it's been the same for 25 years. A brand is the perception your consumer has about who you are when interacting with your products, your services, or other touch points, right? Typical definition. So when you consider a Campbell's soup can in the aisle, you look at it and you're like, this is timeless, stable, kid-friendly, family quality, right? It is just red label, Campbell's, all they need to do. They recently rebranded it, which I think is, it's due, but it's a shame historically, right? So the thing about that is Campbell's has a philanthropic side to it, gives a crazy amount of money away to the community And their philanthropic part of their brand doesn't exist in their main brand. They're two completely separate brands, but this is the philanthropic part is the like warm fuzzies that you get every winter when you hear that they donated, right? And it's so separate from their brand. And as a result, Campbell Soup, the soup company will never be community-led. 
because they have a brand that they want to control, that they want to keep collected. It's about the product. It's about sales. It's about the company pushing products in water, right? Yeah. And then you switch over to another brand that's compared to them, Amy's. So Amy's is supposed to be like this alternative soup and noodle company. And it was started because this lady had big dietary problems and she wanted to create food that was natural, that was healthy, that was family friendly. Stop me if this doesn't sound like Campbell's Soup brands. Same thing, right? Except that they started with the philanthropic side at the front on their boxes. They're just like, yeah, we give to like pet clinics. They have a bunny as their logo. They just do stuff. It's a part of their logo. And if you haven't had the chance to look at their social media, their social media looks like a Campbell's brand. But then the closer you start to look and the closer you start to get, the more you realize this is a group of people who care a lot and they just happen to put noodles in boxes and cans. It's a community. I wouldn't, I won't say it's community led. That's a little bit too far for this specific brand, but it's based on this epicenter of community and it's developed a foodie kind of culture in a bound area. And they've created experiences out of their ritual content. They've used those experiences to create artifacts in content and boxes and setups. They've set goals for how much money they're going to raise. They've built a shared set of values for people who say, no, I eat and drink Amy's because I care about whether or not my dietary restrictions are affecting the health of the world's food chain. That's a big deal. Like they have what I like to call a stadium community. They don't have to directly interact with their people because the second you meet another person reaching for that Amy's box in the aisle, you know your kin and you'll strike up a conversation. Peer-to-peer conversation without Amy ever being involved. Which, which brand do you want moving forward? Yeah, yeah. Man, as you are, as you are describing that, right, there is, there is a newsletter that we're working on that is basically breaking down the tenets of activism and what creates a good community-led brand, right? And and it, and it and if I were to go back to like my fundamental aha moment about community, which was at my brother's funeral and how I was just like, oh, at this, you know, like, I don't care what I feel about this religion, the fact that I'm here at this church and this is my community, I'm never going to leave them and deconstructing everything, right? Like activism and religion and what you just described all have the, we all believe in something. We all have these rituals based around it. We all have these core values that we agree to play by in order to say that we believe in this thing. And the re- and, and the rest is just packaging, right? Like it's the, the rest is just like delivery method. And, and that to me is so clear how you're describing that of what makes a community, a viably community-based brand versus a brand, right? Like it's like you have to have these things. You have to have these like this core, this common mission, these core values, these rituals and common language, artifacts, right? Like nicknames and 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 and, and things of that sort make a ton of sense. Am I am I missing anything else in there of what you talked about? I love it. Not really. Honestly, I kind of want to go back like you know how I had like that definition for community where it's like yeah. it's a specific unit of culture. Yeah. What I'm gonna do because I think we drive really well on that because I completely agree. This is literally the definition of community that I teach. Look at the commonalities between what you just said 
and what's in there. Like that there's your recipe for building a strong community brand, a strong magnetic brand. Read it out loud for our friend that's listening in her in the podcast in her ear. Oh, right. So the definition is community is the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, experiences, practices, and artifacts that characterize a divine group of people of any specific size. Love that. If you have all of those things, you are building a brand that is more capable of generating community than the average one. You're not just in the minds of a person's perception of your brand when they're looking at the store aisle. You're giving them a brand that they can put on, try on, wear, and give to someone else. I mean, just think about Nike, right? Like, (laughs) like yeah. Like I read this and I'm like, this is Nike, right? Like one of the most valuable yeah. brands in the world, right? Like you have you Nike, you've got this like jock attitude. Your values are you're somewhat counterculture and you're willing to like play on the fringes. Goals is like just do it and win every day. Experiences they create, you know, they 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 I, I don't know what their experiences and practices are, but artifacts for sure, right? Like logos everywhere, sneaker heads, like all the stuff. I mean, makes what where did your head go when you said, Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. It's another off topic. So I follow a 22-year-old report that's been coming out from Edelman PR. It's called the Edelman's Trust Barometer. And the purpose of the report is to ask, in relation to other branches of society, government, media, nonprofits, et cetera, where does business stand on how much people trust them? The report's been going for 22 years. And as of this year, this is the bad news, but I'm going to tell you the good news afterward. The title for this year is We Are in a Cycle of Distrust. The media, corporations, social media have systematically destroyed a concept of institutional trust. And now there is a statement in that report. And here's the good news. CEOs, community managers, DEI specialists, the people who are at the helm of doing good with their brand. Those people are now the most responsible for solving socio-cultural issues in the world today. People expect CEOs to solve issues of global trade, racism, like you name it. Brands are now expected to be advocates. And all I can think of when I hear that is the reason that happened is because the NFL went one way Nike went the other way and everyone wants Nike, which just, it makes me proud, but I'm also a little bit concerned that private businesses are now expected to carry our social good more than our governments and our media is, but we'll get there. The good news is people want more Nike. Yeah, for sure. Listen, this, this takes me to kind of the final point that I wanted to land on this thing, right? It's why community is becoming the ultimate advantage, right? If like, if this is, this is what the people seek. The people seek someone that can unite them under a mission, that can make them believe again, that can make them feel like they belong. Government's not doing it. The media's not doing it. To me, that's the giant opportunity that companies, brands, solopreneurs, whatever it is, right? Like every, every, everybody, everybody doing this and doing this earnestly seems to be winning from from the outside looking in what do you yeah. wh- what do you see as as the ultimate kind of advantage here and and why have people why are people so late to the party <laughs> yeah and i think that that kind of wraps this up really neatly like we've told this story of business coming into the internet and going oh it'll work like tv right 
And then we're just like, oh, well, they're, the conversion rate isn't terribly small, but it's it's there. There's a conversion rate. And then we just went ham with that. We are realizing that community is a huge advantage because it's the one we've been ignoring. And now the general zeitgeist of community is in place saying, hey, y'all, look, the internet didn't work the way we imagined it did. Open our eyes. Plato's cave now. Like community is how the internet works and suddenly our conversion rates are huge. Woo. Right. It's just, it's becoming a thing and we're starting to get noticed and the internet is starting to be viewed as the way it works, not the way we expect it to work. And I foresee this is my positive side. There's also a negative side to this, but I want to focus on this positive side. I believe that this movement of community is us opening to our eyes to the fact that virtual spaces are lending to a virtual world and we are going to treat it as the culture that it always has been. And businesses are going to begin to pivot to figure out and answer the singular most important question I think any business should answer. Is my social presence in the communities that I am present in harming or helping the presence of those communities. And once they start answering that in detail with every action that they take, we will have better ROI for our companies. We will have community that is actually community-led. We will have an organization nested within a community as a resource node where it should be. And we're going to have a far healthier virtual world. There are ways we can get off that track. I really don't want to go that way. But I truly believe that we can create a better virtual world simply by using the notion of community in economic spaces the way it was originally supposed to be done. Man, I love that. I love that so much, right? Like that brings, that makes me think of two things, right? This idea that my wife said this to me like two, three years ago, and it just blew my mind. This idea that as humans, we have always tried to manifest the social consciousness as like a physical thing. And the internet is the closest thing we have to that right now, right? Like the amalgamation of everything that's being poured into it is becoming like humanity, right? And and then I also see the internet as the light, right? Like I I, I really do believe that we are, we are inherently good. Like people don't, our, my buddy Jerry McNamara says this all the time. Nobody wakes up thinking, I want to be shitty yeah. today. Right. Like like we we wake up inherently wanting to have meaning and and to have purpose and to to affect things the right way. And if and if the Internet becomes the light for this and and we shine the light real brightly on on the social construct, we end up reverting back to what we are, which are these social beings. Right. Like we are the quintessential social animal. It's the only way that we've been able to, you know, get to where we are. So this will you know this this idea that as as the internet becomes so well understood you said the internet is starting to be viewed as the way it works as the way it works not the way it's supposed to work right like as soon as we start seeing the way that things actually work and we become very clear on that companies are going to continue to pour into this because it is so inherently beneficial for everybody and it's what what we're all going to seek so the what's in it for me is going to be, duh, I need to do the thing that everybody wants, right? And I just, I think that's a really good bow on this conversation, Venya. That was awesome. Did I, did I miss anything there? Or I feel like no. I just went on a rant there. <laughs> if anything, I feel like we've gone 
to so many deep and wonderful topics. And it's just been like this incredible conversation, but I'm really glad it's recorded because I don't like, I'm going to come back to this conversation like 10 or 20 times. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, like this has been an incredible conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Right back at you, buddy. Like this is, this has been incredible. I, I, you know, we're going to, so Ryan, start letting people in. Ryan's going to start inviting everybody to be panelists so that you can be part of relationship driven growth. But man, Venia, yeah, I had super high expectations for this conversation after two epic conversations that we've had and um, totally over-delivered. I'm going to be, I'm going to be revisiting this a ton. I'm going to be quoting this a ton. I'm going to be sending bits of this conversation to a bajillion people all the time. And it's just so refreshing to, to have, to have you in this space, right? Like have this perfect kind of combination of marketer, scientist and you know social scientist the way that you represent it so i just man i'm really really grateful to lori for putting us together in a on on a zoom call and i'm just so glad that we did this so i just really really want to thank you for how you showed up and 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 everything that you're doing it's really really cool how can people connect with you work with you uh, what's what's the next step here when everybody clearly wants more venia in their life yeah absolutely I'm actually doing quite a quite a few things right now. So if you do want to be connected, the easiest way to get like access to all the things is to join my community Discord. So I can probably toss the link there. But as it stands right now, like I started a YouTube channel, which is almost entirely focused on the social precedence underpinning community, if you want to subscribe to that. And I also have a book. If it's something you want to do, if you actually want to like take this conversation into implementation, that would probably be the easiest thing. It's nine exercises that will help you build a community brand. And a lot of it is going to feel simple. It's like, oh, I have to do another customer avatar. No, I reworked it using social science so that it's actually useful for you to look at your avatars more than once. So yeah, that's there's awesome. mine. <laughs> That's awesome. my pitch. I, I have a feeling that that workbook is going to be the best workbook anybody has ever downloaded. Rowan put it in the chat. Go get it. Thank you. That was amazing. That was mind blowing. <laughs> I hope you felt the same way. I, you know, my biggest takeaway from that episode was how she described the different kind of like benchmarking and testing. Right, like this idea of look at where your metrics are beforehand, segment them between community influence and not community influenced, and see what you see, right? Which should be increased pipeline velocity, higher lifetime value, uh, higher uh, average purchase per client, right? Like this idea that they trust you more, so they're going to buy your biggest product immediately. And lower cost of client acquisition, right? That's the big thing that people don't know how to measure with community. This is the thing that we found uh, when we launched our first relationship flywheel with uh, JWB Real Estate Capital. We saw all of these metrics moving in the right direction. So we got lucky early on that Greg Cohen had already secluded these numbers and was comparing them, but this is what you need to do, right? Like is, is take that scientific approach to understanding what your metrics are and then uh, segmenting the two and seeing what how it changes when it's influenced by community. 
And if you want to learn how to do the actual motion itself, like I said, we are right now filling up seats for the Relationship Flywheel Bootcamp starting in October and already have some really fascinating people signed up. So it's going to be a great community. If you liked this episode, if you thought this was a little bit too heady and you want to go back into more of uh, Community 101, I highly suggest episode 135 with Jenny Weigel, who is a community expert and she's given more like a, a baseline understanding of community and what she's been doing for the last 10 years. So I hope you go check that out and I hope that I see you at the boot camp. And, uh, you know, I'm on this tour right now with uh, all these different conferences I'm going to. If you haven't booked by now, you're probably not going to join me at one of them, so I'm not going to waste your time. But um, you're missing out on a great karaoke party. And the people that I really need to thank when I'm gone and doing this stuff is my team, right? Like, number one, Rowan, keeping me sane, making sure that all this stuff continues to be published. And... Uh, JP, making sure that this stuff all looks and sounds awesome, and the promo clips, Nicola for writing all the amazing captions, Nicola and Jade now are turning into this like, super team of caption writing and headline writing that I'm really, really impressed by, uh, Rita, our content strategist, who's always given the great ideas of how we bring the visions to reality, and of course, Gina, who is our chief heart officer of processes and people, doesn't work without her, and Marge, who is her chief heart officer <laughs> that makes it all happen the rest of our account managers joyce joanna uh and uh just the bts team really appreciate you and if you have listened this far i hope you never forget relationships will always 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 beat transactions <laughs>